glad you're all here uh, this morning. I've been looking forward to sharing this message with you for quite a while, um, just because it is one of those messages that just burns in my gut, right? It's why I'm here today. It's why I'm doing this <laughs> on Sunday morning. Um, it's why I live the life I live, because of God's Word, what He says in this passage of Scripture particularly. Today we're going to continue the message series that we've been in, Q&A with Christ, right? Uh, these people that come to Jesus and ask questions and Jesus' response. And, um, we're going to look in John chapter 3. And I don't know if you, uh, if you got to see our Instagram uh, account yesterday or the day before. I put a video on there, a little devotional. And I want to kind of uh, retell that story that I, I told in that uh, devotional about several years ago um, when I had first begun just kind of walking with the Lord again. And I was going out with a, with a buddy of mine, and um, I went over to his house to pick him up. And he wasn't ready yet, so I was talking to his roommate. And his roommate had already kind of pounded a couple and he was feeling kind of loose, um, had a couple drinks. And um, so he looks at me and he goes, so you're a Christian. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, he says, well, what does that mean? Like, what does that even mean? You're a Christian. And uh, I was like, well, let me, let me share with you. And I shared this passage of scripture, John 3.16, that we're going to look at today. And, and I got finished, and he said, you know what, that's beautiful, man, that's nice, but like, it's not fair. And I was like, well, what's not fair about it? And he's like, it's not fair, because what about people like me who don't go to church and, you know, don't read, you know, don't read the Bible or whatever and uh, look at me? I mean, what about people like me? And I was like, well, you're complicating it, man. In that one verse, it just tells you exactly what about people like you and what about people like me. It's not for just people like me. Uh, and little did he know that uh, the person I was was a lot like the person he was. Um, and so anyway, I got to kind of share that with him. And uh, he was a little beyond the, the place of, uh, you know, completely uh, having a good conversation about it. So, but I got to plant that seed and explain to him just very shortly what it means to be a Christian, what it means to say that I follow Christ. Um, and so I want us to uh, look at this passage of scripture because I think often we complicate the message of Christ, right? Uh, what it means to put your faith in him as savior. And so I want to look at this passage of scripture that puts it, I believe, in correct perspective and it comes directly out of the mouth of Jesus. So that's a, that's a plus. That's everything. And I want to focus, I'm going to share a good bit of uh, the passage, and then I want to focus on verse 16 when we get there in just a minute. Um, but I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of John. Um, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 17, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So it says this in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How can, I, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And here's this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's pray. God, take your word and apply it to our hearts. Lord, I, I can't say it clever or witty enough uh, or intelligent enough or to change anybody's life. Lord, but you can. Your spirit can apply it to our hearts. And so we ask you, through your word and your spirit, to change hearts and lives today. Begin with me. In Christ's name, amen. So Nicodemus, this guy, comes to Jesus right in, in the evening, in the night. And he's got some legitimate questions. He's a teacher of Israel, it tells us, and he understands the Hebrew scriptures very well. Yet he still has questions. Religious people came to Jesus. We look at his life over and over again, religious people, because they thought they, they did all the, the functional things that their religion taught them to do, but they still felt like something was missing, like they weren't getting it. Um, and so we look at Nicodemus here, and his question in the middle of all this is, how can these things be? Like Jesus is talking, and it's, it's almost like Nicodemus is like, I, I don't really get what you're saying. And so after a bit of navigating with Nicodemus, we find the title of today's message, um, what we're speaking about, and that is the uncomplicated truth. What is the uncomplicated truth? That's basically what Nicodemus is asking And so I want to look at a couple things leading up to verse 16. That will be our focus, but I want us to have some good context of what's going on in this passage. So in verse 1, it says, a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. So this guy is very religious, and Jesus even calls him the leader of Israel. So he's a a big shot. He knows the scriptures. He's very religious. And so you know this guy is going to overcomplicate it. You know this guy has got a lot of baggage that he comes with, which is fine. Jesus welcomes him. And then in verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these things that you do. So some classic patronizing here. He's patronizing Jesus. We know you're the man because nobody could do these things that you did, you know. So he comes to him, as usual, these religious leaders, a little pompous, a little like, yeah, I, I, I know you've got to be from God, but we don't know that he really believes that. And then in verse 3, he says, Jesus says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here is, 
Um, you can't think the way you're thinking and get this, right? You can't figure it out. It's not just about religion. It's not just about your heritage or tradition. It's not a particular group of people. This is a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. It's not an effort thing. You remember we just talked about last week in our small groups, we talked about the woman at the well. You remember Jesus had to shift with her too because she kept wanting to talk about the water. She wanted to talk about the worship, all these things. You remember Jesus said, you know, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Remember that little shift? He says, but everyone who drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Over and over again, people came to Jesus. They were looking for some very practical things about how to live life and how to, how to do religion right. And Jesus is like, no, you have to think differently. As long as uh, we're asking and searching with eyes of the flesh and not with spiritual eyes, we'll never get it. And that's often when we start to complicate things. Because we don't see with spiritual eyes, and so we try, to, we try to make common sense out of the things that are of God. And he's saying here, Jesus is saying, this is a spiritual thing. And then verse 4 through 15, he basically, this is where the confusion begins, right? Uh, he's like, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, right? And Jesus is like, he must be born of water and the Spirit He's showing Nicodemus he has lost the ability to see spiritually. Even though he's a religious man, he's like, you've lost the ability to think and see spiritually, even as a religious leader. And so Jesus holds up the mirror to Nicodemus in these next verses, and that's what he does to us. There's no coming to Jesus and just kind of like checking him out and watching him over on the side. If you come to Jesus in earnest, he's going to hold up a mirror. It's not always comfortable, but it's honest. It's true. And so we, we choose to be honest and see what he shows us or we, we turn away and continue to really lie to ourselves. And Nicodemus had that option here. And then verse 16 and 17 is the bottom line, and that's what I want to focus on. So Nicodemus says the question, how can these things be? And Jesus unfolds it, unpacks it right there in verse 16. He says, you know what, I've said all these other things. Let me just put it to you straight, right? And so I want us to look at three things when he's talking about what is it all about? How can these things be? There's three things I want us to see in this passage. One is it's a love story. It is a love story. God, in verse 16, he starts that verse with, for God so loved the world. What's he saying there? What is so loved? He's basically saying God loved so much the world. God loved so much you and me. Put your name in there. He's telling Nicodemus, God so loved you. One of the most important but misunderstood truths about Christ. And if we could just get this, the rest has room to get into our hearts. But God loves you personally. I remember Billy Graham, remember the big conferences he would have and the giant stadiums and everything over and over again at some point in his message he would say if you don't remember anything else when you leave here today if you forget everything else i say to you remember this god loves you doesn't matter where you've been doesn't matter what you've done he loves you he created you and so um it's beyond anything we can fathom scripture says and and hudson read that passage this morning scripture tells us that he, he has the hairs on your head numbered. I mean, that's not a big trick in my case, but some of you, that's pretty good. It says his thoughts about you are as greater than the sands, greater than the 
kernel. I don't know what you call a piece of sand, but greater than the number of those sand. He thinks about you. He cares about you, considers you. But we've complicated our understanding of God and how he sees us and cares for us somehow in religion. Why is it that we can't quite grasp that? Well, number one, I think part of it is as believers, as Christians, we've complicated the message. We've tried to make it about a list of things you can do, things you can't do. Don't act that way. Don't say this thing. Don't vote that way, whatever. And all of that is beside the point. It starts with the love of God. And we're going to see what that results in in this passage. But God cares for us. Well, that's, that's one reason. But I think the other reason, some people we think, we look at life and we say, man, there's so much pain. There's so much struggle and hurt. How can God love me? I had a friend tell me that. Like, when I think about the life that I've had and the things I've been through, don't tell me God loves me. That's hard to grasp. I had a conversation with a friend just this past week, and we were sitting there, and I said, I don't know why I asked this question, but I just said, how do you think God sees you right now, your situation? Because he was struggling. He said, you know, honestly, I don't think God is interested at all in me and in my struggle. And if we're honest, all of us feel that way at one point or another, right? There's a struggle. There's, a, there's days when we're like, hello, is there a God out there? Is there a good God? But what we feel at one time or another is not always the reality of God's love. Love is not based every day on how I feel. If you've been uh, with, uh, uh, if you've been married or have a significant other for any period of time, you know there are certain days where it feels a little warmer and fuzzier than other days, but that doesn't change the fact of love. And the fact that we struggle and we go through pain and suffering does not mean necessarily that God doesn't love us. So that's not a, a factual thing. And when people tell me, I don't believe in God at all because of pain and suffering, I'm like, that's not really logical, is it? That doesn't stand up in any, any logical debate. Now, it may, you may say, well, that, that doesn't prove that there's not a God. But it may, it may make you say, what kind of God would let this happen, right? But it doesn't necessarily prove there is no God. So what, I, what Jesus is saying, it's because of love. This is all about love. God is love. And it's a whole nother, a whole nother uh, message. But most of our situations, most of our issues, our hurt and pain, is a result of us or others not loving God, not being in that loving relationship with God, not accepting his love and giving it back to him. Now, that doesn't mean that he's abandoned us because we've, we've, uh, we've not walked in that love. It simply means, um, I mean, he still loves us, but it simply means first he's calling me to bring all those pains and struggles to him, to submit them to him. Put my faith in him. Trust that he can heal me. Trust that he can give me a new tomorrow. My past does not have to dictate my future. God does not want that. The pain and suffering that I've been through, the scars that I have, that doesn't have to dictate my future. God has a plan for me in his love, in his compassion. He wants to restore me, but he calls us to bring it to him, to come to him, to put our faith in him. Even admit, this is the tricky part, even admit that I've failed, I've done the wrong thing at times. Or some other people have done the wrong thing. That's what we see in the world today as a result of us not walking in that love that God has for us. But 
wanting to do it on our own. And he calls us to confess that, to admit that. We'll talk about that in a little while. But have you ever gotten hurt by somebody that you care about and then they just act like nothing happened? It's like they just want to... They just want to see you the next time and just kind of keep going, like, not even mention it. That hurts, right? That's not even healthy. I want to talk about it. Let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. But it's the same with God, not that he wants us to do anything, except come and confess it. Like, yes, I'm, I'm broken. I've, I've, I've not walked in your love. I've not returned your love. And also, it may be this pain and struggle that you find yourself in and that I find myself in, it may be that the beauty and strength that God is building in you, the painting that he's making of your life, requires that I walk through some struggle, some pain. Of course he loves us. You are his idea. That's why we're here. You were created in his image and so... And my. So how do we know he loves us? Well, we just number one, we just look around. There's a thing called common grace. You look around at creation. Look at the sunrise. Look at the rain. Look at the, the universe. Look at the beauty of it all and how it all functions. Look at the scientific properties of the earth. Some people want to pit science against God. They're not against one another. All science, is do, all science does is take a magnifying glass to what God has amazingly created and done. Look at the human body, the way the human body is created. Look at our relationships with one another. Even the ability, capacity to love and be loved. That's all, that all comes, that's an echo from our creator. He loves us. He gave that to us. So we know he loves us by looking around a beautiful day like this. That's what I do. I, when I'm walking down the street or I go into Central Park, I see the leaves change. I'm like, praise God. Wow. God, you could have made it just gray. No colors. You made it beautiful. Thank you. So we see his love in all of creation. We see his love in Scripture. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So listen, if you know somebody who says they're a Christian and they don't love, you have every reason to question that because that's what the Bible says. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There's a word used over 250 times in Scripture, and it describes God's particular love for us, hesed. It's beautiful. It's, it's a love that's not like our love for one another, not even our love back for him. It's a special love. And he tells us over and over again in Scripture that not only does he love us, but he is love. He defines love. How else do we see it? We see it ultimately in Jesus. That's what the message of Christ is. It's a love story. It's, a, it's, it's God reaching out in his love, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God made a grand appearance through Christ to demonstrate his love in the ultimate way, this sacrifice on the cross. Listen, no one loves you with a perfect love, but God does. 
And so God is love and he loves. Love is at the center of his whole plan and design for your life and for this world. Mother Teresa found this on a, on a page that's hashtag Mother Teresa. <laughs> it says, God created us to love and to be loved. Yeah, she summed, she summed it up nice. So if God is love and God loves me and he created me to love him and to love others, why don't I? Why don't I love him back always? And why don't I love others well always? Well, number two, it's a story of brokenness and there's no getting around that. He says a couple things in this verse 16. He says, um, that whosoever, whoever believes in him should not perish. And then in verse 17, that the world might be saved through him. There's this communication of there's some brokenness here. There's some perishing happening or, and coming. Um, there's some salvation needed. What does that mean? What's he talking about? He's talking about our brokenness. You and I and every other person on this world is at our core broken. Not only because of our circumstances, no, that, that is also part of it, but we are broken at our core. We know this. We don't have to be convinced of our brokenness, maybe of our need for help or how we want to be helped, but we know we have issues, right? All of us. And that is why Jesus came. That is why God, in his love, sent Christ, because God sees us. He sees beyond the circumstances. He sees beyond the things that we want to make it about. He knows the core of who we are, our hurt. Jesus is uh, walking in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Lost. He looked at the the crowds of people and his heart broke that's how God sees us in our brokenness and it was never God's plan that we just each try to find our own way right because some people will find a way and some people won't some people will have better situations some people will have worse situations that's not even fair and and this brokenness is what keeps everyone on the earth Keeps, it comes between me and peace, is this brokenness. And the Bible cause, uh, says that the cause of this brokenness is sin, and there's no getting around this. My sin, others' sin, the cause of our brokenness is sin in this world. Now, some of your struggles and some of my struggles might not be uh, necessarily a direct result of my personal sin. So there may be things in your life, some struggles that you've had that you didn't cause those. Yeah, of course but it's someone else's sin. But we all struggle with that. It's a reality in the world. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. That's, he's talking about our default position. 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's you, that's me, that's the Pope. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There's this draw, there's this pull in all of us to make the wrong choice. 
It's our brokenness in our humanity. Now here's the problem with this truth. We can admit we're broken. But as soon as you start talking about sin or anything like that, we start to push back most of the time. As soon as we start talking about um, personal responsibility for my brokenness or or my own sin, we we see that as judgment. I think we see it as kind of the world sees that as some Christian technique of bringing judgment on people. But it's really just the brokenness that the Scripture tells us that we all have. Because that we can't accept. And our culture, our society will stand wholeheartedly with us in shifting the blame. Hence, we see the perpetual brokenness in the world. Doesn't matter, nation after nation after nation rises and falls because there's this innate brokenness and sinfulness. Like I said, for most of us, when we hear the word sin, we have an automatic kind of guttural reaction to it. But the truth is we're all fallen. Frederick Nietzsche and himself, he's not my spiritual mentor or anything, but he even said, I have often laughed at the weaklings who thought themselves good because they had no claws. He even knew that we are all evil. We all have sinfulness. We're all capable of great evil things just because we don't look like it, just because we don't live in a certain place or look a certain way. We all have that within us. And sin in Scripture is defined as, that word is defined as missing the mark. We've all missed the mark in regards to loving God because that's what Jesus said is the most important thing. Love God and love one another. We've missed that mark. That's called sin. We're reading this book, Mere Christianity. A lot of you are in D groups. and At the very end of chapter one, some of you may have gotten there, um, but he just sums it up like this. He says, these then are the two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave that way. That's all of our condition. And if God were a cruel God, he would just let it be some sort of subjective, hazy, cloudy thing about whether we're doing the right thing or not, right? In which you and I would have to try and figure out what was too far and too much and what was not too far and how far can I go? Uh, Who's worse than who? What's my score on the scorecard of God? The scripture tells us we're all sinners. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he called himself the chief of sinners. He said, I'm the worst. But God is not cruel. He made it clear. I heard somebody say this last week. A bad truth is better than a good lie. I like that. And the truth is, it's not a bad truth, but it stings a little bit. The truth is, we are all broken sinners. We're in this together. And so God loves us, you, me, and he is love. We're all broken. We're all sinful. As uncomfortable as that feels, it's not going to go away just because I rename it. So now what? How do I fix my scorecard? Right? Well, here's where the good, 
it's not, uh, let's see, bad truth. Is, it's, it, this is good truth. The best of both worlds here. And that is this. It's a message of redemption. The message of Christ, the reality of Jesus and the story of salvation is a message of redemption. It's God's love, our brokenness, and it comes together with God's redemptive, loving power. He says there, uh, in verse, the end of verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God took the initiative in his love. He saw our brokenness. He loved us. He created us to love him back. We're broken. We chose differently. And he took the initiative to say, you know what? I'm going to fix that. I want to bring healing to you. I want to redeem you. That's why it's called the good news. New Testament word for gospel translated means good news. And that's what it is. It's news. It's already taken place. It's not something I have to earn. It's news because it already happened and it's good. Why is it good? Because it's healing. It heals. It's God doing exactly what God knows needs to be done to heal you and me from the inside out. There's a song, I think I've quoted it here before, but it really touches me. It's from back in the 90s, I think, by Michael W. Smith. Um, And it says this. I've been unfaithful. I've been unworthy. I have been unrighteous. And I have been unmerciful. All true. I've been unreachable. I have been unteachable. I have been unwilling and I have been undesirable. Again, all true. Sometimes I've been unwise. I've been undone by what I'm unsure of. But because of you and all that you went through, I know that I have never been unloved. God loves me in my brokenness. He reaches out. He comes running. He's come running to you. He comes running to me, unbelievably, to the darkest places he's come running and still does that. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Man, that is beautiful. He came running to me. God became a man. He looked at us in our brokenness. He looked at the condition of the world and sent his son to demonstrate his love for us. Now, to the unspiritual man, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I've been that man. Somehow I complicate it because I need to twist it to make more sense in my mortal mind. But it's a spiritual issue. It's a relational issue. And both of those things honestly make us uncomfortable. What are, what are some examples of how we've complicated this? Now, I'm not going to use exact names. I wrote them down here, and then I, as I read back through this, I said, I'm not going to use these exact things. But there are many religions, right? And most religions are about how I can get to God, how I can perform better. I can do the right thing. There are some 
that have high holy days, right? There are specific days throughout the year. And, and really what they are, now we go through the motions. A lot of people don't even know what they are. But the reason for those days is that I might change my fate through prayer. I might be put in God's book of life because I pray, I repent, I, I act charitably to others around me. That God will re- reward those who observe his commandments and who who uh, and he punishes those who transgress his commandments. There's, there's other religions that talk about praying several times a day, facing a certain way when I pray to be heard. Certain times of the year I refrain from food and drink and sexual relationships. There's a pilgrimage in several religions where I have to make, as a believer, as a believer of that religion, I'm, I'm expected to go and worship in a certain spot, a certain place. There's others where I'm expected to say Hail Marys and pray the rosary, make the sign of the cross, go to confession. All these things are necessary for a right relationship with God. There are those that I'm in search of transcendence, right? Go to another level with personal discipline, good conduct, purification, meditation, surrender. Not that those are bad things, all of them. But this is how I please God. This is how I progress, right? Think about Christianity. I will name that one. For a lot of Christians, if you ask them or people about Christianity, say, yeah, I know what Christianity is about. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't curse. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't miss too much church. Wrong. That is not what it means to be a Christian. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever, what? Believes in him. Not believes in him and goes to church a certain amount of time. Not believes, no, who believes in him, who puts their faith in him and his message accepts, surrenders. And I don't want to make this just some metaphorical thing. So Romans chapter 10, verse 9, beginning in verse 9, it says this. It's very clear. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." God has made it uncomplicated. He's made it very simple. If you will come in faith and just say, I give up. I can't do this. I can't be good enough. I can't pray enough. I trust in you. I trust in what Christ did on the cross. That's what that whole scene was for, was to pay that for us, to bridge that gap, to heal me. Our brokenness is, is there not because we haven't been trying. It's not because some of us aren't hard workers. It's there because we've left God out. And re- what he requires of you and me is not to try harder. It's faith in his love and provision. See, all these other things we do in religion is about me. It's not even about him. It's about me being a better citizen. It's about me feeling better about myself. And what God tells us is, hey, there's an issue between us. You know, like that, that when, you're, when your loved one offends you or does something wrong, and then they're just like, hey, everything's cool. Don't worry about it. And you're like, um, we need a conversation. 
God is saying, hey, we, we need a conversation. I've taken care of it all. You're forgiven, but I need you to come to me and recognize this. Listen, my life was radically changed. <sighs> Don't get upset. My life was radically changed when I was 25 years old. Not because I joined a club or some special group. See, my life was a decent life. Maybe, in the grand scheme of things. But something was not right. I was living life unplugged. Unplugged from the source, and I knew it. It was just kind of free-falling taking it as it came. Some days good, some days bad, but really no purpose, no point of life. I was trying to come up with something, trying to manufacture that purpose in my life. But when someone shared with me that, listen, God knows you, Steve. He sees you. He knows you. And guess what? Even in all your mess, He loves you. He is full of grace and mercy. And when I was walking around going, "Ah, God can't be happy with me. What they told me was that God loves me. He, he desires me. And he didn't expect me to figure out how to get to him and to clean my life up. But he reached for me through Christ, through the message of love and redemption. And what he asked for me is to believe. And so I did. And only then did I understand. Only then did I begin to understand and to grab hold. That's what faith is. It's not that I have it all figured out. It's that God hits me in that moment. The Holy Spirit hit me in some moment and I realized that's true. And I surrendered to it. I don't know what it means for my life. I don't know if I'm going to be a missionary. I don't know if I'm going to whatever. But I surrender. And the rest is... God's work in my life. You, may, you, you probably say, well, that's not, it can't be that easy. That, that's probably your little thing, but it can't be that easy. easy. And I would just say the healing, number one, the healing of that relationship with God, the repair of that love story between God and, and you, it is that easy. It wasn't easy for Christ. He took all the pain and suffering but it really isn't that easy, is it? Or else everybody would say yes. What stops us? It's not that it's too difficult. It's that I can't quite figure it out on my own. It's not always easy to live in this world as a Christian. I'm not talking about all the dumb stuff we say at times and, and bring trouble on ourselves. I'm talking about living your life as Christ leads you and calls you to, considering others first, seeking to honor the Lord with my thoughts and attitudes, to love my neighbor. That's difficult. And listen, don't get, don't get it, uh, like a guy was saying on the street the other day, don't get it twisted. That's not what saves me. That belief, that faith, that saying yes to Jesus is what saves me, and then he starts to work in my life, changing me. Creating some humility there, creating uh, a tenderness, creating a, a empathy for other people. But that's not always easy because that's not the kind of world we live in. But it's also more peace than I've ever known. See, once you trust in Christ to restore that relationship, then the real adventure begins. the overhaul of my perspective, of my desires, the healing of my wounds and scars begins. 
but I'm no longer relying on myself to do it. Jesus gives me a new set of eyes and a new heart. He says there to Nicodemus in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, God has made it possible for you and I to come to life spiritually. We no longer see life as just the nuts and bolts of getting through the day. But to know God and to walk with Him, He opens our eyes. It's a beautiful, fulfilling, adventurous journey. Diving into God's Word as a treasure chest of wisdom and truth. Growing in my walk with God. Praying. Conversations with the Spirit of God. Seeing my attitudes transform. Seeing my outlook overhauled. It's a beautiful thing. And this is the uncomplicated truth. God loves you. He sees your brokenness and your sin. And He came to heal. He did something about it. All He asks is that you would say, Yes. Respond with yes. There's a popular uh, kind of self-help movement I see on social media and stuff and say, say yes, and then it puts different things underneath it. And I was thinking about this, say yes. Christ just calls us to say yes. Now, there's a Taylor Swift song. I don't really know it, so I'm not going (laughs) to... My wife is covering her face. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I saw this written, and the song is called Love Story. And there's a line in it that says, it's a love story, baby. Just say yes. It's a love story that God has reached out to you and I through Jesus. It's his love. It's his expression of love. Say yes. He's not saying be be extra religious, serve at the church, become a missionary. He's not saying any of that. He's saying say yes. There's two kinds of people walking around on this earth. There are those who have said yes. They believe that God loves them and demonstrated it through Jesus loud and clear, and they've said yes to that. And their spiritual eyes eyes have been opened, and so they seek to love God back. And then there are those who who have not said yes, and they've decided, I'm just going to hold on a little bit. I'm going to try and get a little better here and a little better there, and then one day I just hope it'll be enough. I hope it'll work out. God is a good God. He wouldn't... Leave us in that condition. God is not ambivalent about this love story. He's pursuing you. He will continue to pursue you and me because his love goes beyond anything in human uh, understanding of love. I'm very prideful. And my wife will tell you that. If I, if I feel disrespected or I feel like, you know, um, when we were dating, I would try to act cool. Like, okay, whatever. I don't care. You want to go with me or you just want to do something else? I, I don't care. If you ain't going to love me, if you're going to disrespect me, then, I got no, then I'm going to protect myself. That's not the way God is. He pursues us. We say, no, no, no. He keeps pursuing us because his love transcends any human love that we could ever imagine or fathom. And he offers it to you today. He's, he's running after you again. He's hunting you. So as I conclude here, I've heard the, I've heard the message of Christ described as um, too simple. Silly. I've had these actual conversations with people. Even somebody not too long ago, I shared this in our small group, said, I would be embarrassed if I was a Christian to say that I believe that. But you know what? As I think about that, that really is an attitude of privilege, isn't it? What that response says is, 
I mean, if God is real, if there is something, it must be only for the intellectual and educated. It must be some kind of philosophical, deep thing that we grab a hold of, right? It must be more spiritually and philosophically complicated than what you're talking about. And when I say that, I'm saying it leaves people out that aren't quite educated enough, or can't quite get it, can't quite grasp it, because it's, it's not that simple. It is, God made it to where we could all understand it. He made it to where I was in a pickup truck one night, late at night, in the middle of the night, headed out to a little town in Haiti, covered in mud, and I hear singing in the darkness, and I see a little light way off in the distance. I get there, and there's one bulb hanging in a generator going, this one bulb hanging. It's this mud hut is full of people singing hymns of God's grace and love. And they're smiling and they're, they're poor. They're, they're living through struggle. And yet they know that God loves them and reaches out. That's the kind of God we have. The entire premise of the gospel is what makes it so difficult to accept, right? It's not that it's complicated, but it's salvation is impossible in my own power, my own intellect, my own pursuit and effort. It's that God has acted in a way that's completely unlike anything I would do or any plan that I would make. It's simple, it's silly to the prideful man. This is the very reason it's true. First Corinthians says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. The message of Christ says, unless you come as a child with faith, not in your own intellect, not in your own power, a message of love and restoration and hope that tribes in the villages and depths of the Amazon or those in the poor slums of the city, the uneducated and educated alike, Oxford scholars like C.S. Lewis, scientists like Isaac Newton and George Washington Carver, all together could not only understand, but put their faith in it as true. And one day, this life will be over for every one of us. These conversations will be passed. And then as sure as we are all sitting here this morning in this place, we will see what is true. We will know. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and trust in his love. Let's pray. God, thank you for the message of grace, the message of love. God, we struggle. We're fighting in the darkness so often and we're trying to make sense of this world. We're trying to choose the right things, God, and make the right moves. And God, I thank you that um, years ago you pierced that darkness in my thinking and you opened my eyes. And Lord, I was born spiritually that day. And God, uh, I thank you that you continue to hunt us, to come after us, stirring in us. Lord, that, that place that makes us all know that there is more there's got to be something more, and that place is your place. And so, Lord, forgive us when we try to fill it with so many other things and our own efforts, our own ceremonies, our own traditions. God, may we 
come in childlike faith and say, yes. Yes, we accept. We accept your love and we want to give it back. Help us do that, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so glad you're here. A couple things before I let you go. One thing is, if in that message you heard something that you want to know more about, or you have a question about what exactly saying yes means, grab me when we're finished. Don't leave without grabbing me and let's have that conversation. Um, short, uncomplicated conversation that I can tell you from my own personal experience changes your life. Um, a couple of announcements. There's a connect card in the back if you've never filled one of those out so we can know how to get a hold of you, connect with you. Um, fill one of those out and just leave it on the table. That's our website and uh, we have Instagram stuff going every now and then. Keep going. Um, we're going to continue next week with Q&A with Christ with somebody else bringing a question. If you don't have the church app, get that. I'm going to keep banging that drum. You know, ask my small groups. They know that I'll call them on the day, or Tony will on the day that we have it, and be like, hey, you didn't respond on the app. We, we want to get food right. We want to, we want to create a, a good line of communication. So download the app. That's some of the stuff that goes on. And if you want to give, I've never pointed this out, but if you want to give, like your offering or just uh, give a gift uh, to the ministry, you can go on that homepage, which is that first one. You see about three-quarters of the way down, it says give. You click on that, and it'll take you a place where you can you can uh, give an online gift there and whatever. So stuff that we're doing is on there. Um, or you can just take a picture of that, and it'll take you to the giving page as well. And then we're going today, we have a special event. We're going over to Central Park. About 2 o'clock, we're going to meet in the Arthur Ross Pondrum. That's the plan. Does everybody know where that is? That's like on the upper west side over here. It's where they, one of the couple places in the park they have picnic tables. We're going to try and grab a picnic table. If you put Arthur, Rice, Arthur Ross Pintrum in your Google search, it'll take you right there. Um, and I'll shoot out a text if I have to adjust it. I'll go there early. Um, we're going to just hang out. We're going to, if you made some apple stuff, um, bring it. Some snacks, some baked treats or whatever it is. Um, bring that and we'll share it together. And then we're going to do a scavenger hunt. And so we'll split up into teams depending on who's there. And we'll, we'll uh, make it an adventure through Central Park. It's a blast. We, we did it, what, a year, two, year and a half ago? It was a blast. Um, and then uh, we look forward to that. Come be a part of that. So let me say a prayer and then we'll uh, take off. Oh, yeah, there's a, we're going to have a picnic over there. That's what that is. <laughs> What'd you say? I'm going to go, Kara. <clears throat> All right, let me pray for you. Thanks for coming um, this morning. God, you're so good to us, Lord. You are a God of love. And Lord, that's not dependent on how we respond to you. You still love us. And so I just thank you for that. And as we leave this place this morning, I pray that we would, uh, Lord, experience life the way that you created us to experience it. And that is walking in your love and loving you back and um, watching you transform our lives, God. And so uh, thank you for the uncomplicated truth of um, what it is to have a relationship with you. Lord, help us not to complicate it. Uh, Lord, we do a lot of things. We want to learn more about you. We want to spend time in prayer and seeking your face. But Lord, we know that it's all about just surrendering to you first and foremost. Uh, so thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a beautiful day. Uh, and just guide us as we leave this place. Um, and uh, may we be salt and light in the world around us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.